Hello listeners. September is National Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Join us at Relay FM in supporting St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Learn more and donate now at 512pixels.net slash September. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Inquisitive on Relay FM. This episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by lynda.com, where you can find and stream thousands of courses created by industry experts for a free trial. Visit lynda.com slash inquisitive. It's also brought to you by Campaign Monitor, helping you send beautiful emails and get better results. And Harry's, where you can have an exceptional shave at a fraction of the price. My name is Mike Hurley, and I have the pleasure today of being joined by Mr. Tom Merritt. Hi, Tom. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. A pleasure to talk to you, too. So, Tom, I must ask you, what do you like to be known for these days? I probably am most comfortable being known as a podcaster. Why do you say most comfortable? <laughs> well, uh, it's weird. Like, I for a long time struggled with whether I was, uh, and I think a lot of creative people feel this way, whether I was a fake, right? Uh, so early in my career, people say, oh, you're, you're a tech journalist. And I'm like, well, I don't really like write news stories about technology. So I don't feel like I'm a tech journalist uh, per se. And then even in, in the podcasting days, my jobs at CNET uh, were not particularly podcasting. Podcasting was one of the things I do. And so I felt like, well, for the real podcasters out there, I don't know if I'm a podcaster, but now I'm actually pretty much only doing podcasts or doing shows on the internet. So I feel like I can comfortably claim that that's what I do. So the last time that that me and you spoke um, on the show that was before this, Command Space, you were relatively recently independent uh, you'd been at twip before then and now and then you were, were out on your own and you, you'd very recent not not that recently but you recently started the daily tech news show which is one of the things that i want to talk about most today but how long have you been uh independent for now yeah so i did my last show for twit on december 30th uh, that was the, the last episode of Tech News Today that I was on. And then I started Daily Tech News Show on January 2nd. So depending on how you count it, uh, somewhere since the end of December, but, but pretty much since the first of the year. Do you feel settled in now to this? Yeah, finally. I'm, I'm starting to feel settled in. Uh, it, was, it was quite stressful relaunching and launching so many things all at once. I uh, I launched Daily Tech News Show. Uh, we redid Frame Rate. Uh, Brian Brushwood and I as Cord Killers. Uh, Scott Johnson and I revived Current Geek. Sword and Laser did a video season in January, uh, as well as continuing our audio episodes. And I also uh, kind of revved up a podcast for tech history called Today in Tech History, and started doing a series called Five Apps for Tech Republic. All of those projects still going? All of them are still going. Have you added any more? <laughs> no. I've actually kind of imposed a self-rule that I am not allowed to add anything until something uh, either sadly goes away or just fails or something like that. I, I, I've got to keep myself in check. So you feel that you're, you're at your limit at the moment. This is, this is as much as you do. 
Yeah, and it, because in addition to everything I just mentioned, I did a season of FSL Tonight. We, we've done a couple of mini seasons of a, a show I do with Molly Wood called It's a Thing. Uh, there's Autopilot with Scott Johnson that we, uh, we're we looking about doing another season of. And uh, I have East Meets West that I, I kind of do on a monthly basis now with Roger Chang. So these are all podcasts, right? Yeah, uh, except for the five apps on Tech Republic. That's, that's on techrepublic.com. So do you ever think about, I mean, you know, you mentioned you are a podcaster now, but do you ever get the itch to do something that's not podcasting? Yeah, and I do write. Uh, I really would like to continue to write fiction. I don't know if I'm that good at it, but I enjoy doing it. And so I self-publish the novels and just kind of put them out there more for feedback uh, than anything. And and I'm going to continue to do that. I do love doing that. So I assume that's like your hobby, right? Because hob- yeah. podcasting's a hobby for a lot of people. But for you, it's yeah. your job. So you have to have a hobby. Of so I have kind. to have a separate hobby. <laughs> yeah, I turned my hobby into a job, uh, which is kind of cool. But then you, then you need a hobby. Yeah. So what, I mean, I feel like, you know, you, you've been doing, you've been in podcasting for a while, probably since it's, since it began, right? Because you, you were well, on Buzz yeah. Out Loud, right? Quite- Near, uh, we started Buzz Out Loud in March of 2005. And depending on when you date podcasting, it, it, it really became podcasting sometime in 2004. Yeah, so it's, it's for as much, you know, it's nearly the start. It's like 10 years you're coming up on now, I guess, really. So you've been, you know, you've, you've been involved in this sort of stuff for a while. What is exciting you about podcasting right now? What I love about podcasting and always have is the ability to broadcast yourself what you want to an audience and involve that audience directly, uh, eliminating as many of the unnecessary elements of publishing and broadcasting uh, as possible. So I, I can, you know, especially if you stick to audio podcasting, you record an MP3, you put it on the internet, and it's out there. And then the audience has loads of ways, more than ever, to talk back to you and support you. So you can talk to them on Twitter. You can you can have chat rooms in IRC, email. Uh, you could put blog comments out. Uh, so it's, yeah, I, I, I love creating something with an audience that's like, yeah, you guys want this. I want to do it. Let's make it together. Yeah, because I guess, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about, and I want to talk to you about Patreon. And mm-hmm. and that I guess that's an interesting part of especially what you're doing is that there is a you have a community built around you. Yeah, and that's something I've been lucky enough to kind of coalesce over the years. Uh, I, I think I got a very small number of people that were maybe following me when I went to CNET from Tech TV. I was very involved in the Tech TV forums. Uh, in especially near the end, trying to explain what was going on uh, at at the network over those last couple of years. And then when I went to CNET, I definitely built an audience through Buzz Out Loud, uh, through CNET TV, and the things that I did there. And, and definitely took some of those to Twit, was exposed to new people at Twit. Uh, and over the course of all of that, uh, I've, I've been lucky enough to have enough people to follow me to my new ventures as well. Uh, not all of the pe- same people are following all of the ventures. It's different people listening to Sword and Laser often than are listening to Daily Tech News Show. But uh, it, yeah, I've been able to find folks who find value enough in what I do to be able to support it, to be willing to support it. To go back to, to podcasting as a medium, 
are you seeing any trends at the moment? Like, I feel like that there is more interest now than maybe there has ever been, at least in kind of the technology space. Would you say that you see the same kind of thing? Yeah, I feel like this is a cycle that podcasting has gone through. And the first time we went through it, we thought it was dead, right? Uh, Because podcasting took off because, hey, look at that. I can put enclosures in an RSS feed and send files out. Isn't that amazing? And enthusiasts caught on to it. But it was very much a niche thing. Uh, You know, having a script like, like iPod or X... Uh, that would plop those MP3s onto your creative nomad for you <laughs> wasn't uh, wasn't for everyone. And then, of course, iTunes came along and started the podcasting section of of, of iTunes and explosion, right? And now all of a sudden, everybody was doing podcasts. Then the novelty of that wore off, and it kind of died down. Uh, and we've been through several cycles where it has risen back up again over the years. And I think most recently, it seems like from what I hear of other people who are just discovering podcasting, it's because of comedians this time. Uh, a lot of you know folks like uh, Dan Harmon are capturing people's attention. And, and, and you've got Adam Carolla out there. And you've got Leo Laporte out there uh, popularizing the format as well. So I, I think that group of people doing podcasting crossed with the smartphone and the ability to have apps that can pull these things down is what's injecting podcasting with its ne- latest round of popularity. It was really, uh, it was really eye-opening for me when we launched It's a Thing, how many people said, I don't see your show in my app. And I was so stuck in that 2005 mindset of like, well, then you go and you get the RSS link and you put it in the app. Like the app's just a way to get it. It's not the way. But for many people, the app, whether it's Pocket Cast or Downcast or Stitcher or whatever is is the be-all and end. That's podcasting to them. And if they don't find it in the search there, it doesn't exist. I mean, I've even had recently with some of the stuff that we've been doing with uh, Relay is people saying like, I, like, just a question like, I don't see you in my feeds. I'm like, mm-hmm. my question is, well, because you haven't subscribed yet. Like, and, and it's like, it, and it's as you start to cross into to finding these different audiences and stuff like that, the questions become more obtuse because the the minute understanding of the ins and outs of how podcasting works doesn't necessarily translate to everybody, as you say. Well, and the, the range of adeptness is bigger than ever because you still have the folks who are out there doing it old school, you know, and, and I don't mean to pick on dog catcher users particularly, but I feel like the questions that are most similar to the 2005 experience of podcasting come from folks that I know use Dogcatcher. For instance, I started using SoundCloud to host Daily Tech News Show this week. And while I wait for them to uh, approve my RSS feed through SoundCloud, I'm using the trick of adding download.mp3 to the end of a link. Well, for Dogcatcher, that looks like it's the same file every day. Uh, because of yeah. the way it works, right? Yeah, we've and been so you have, this. <laughs> have to put a question mark at the end and like kind of do things to trick it. Uh, but at the those users are cu- writing to me like, I noticed that your file has changed to this particular uh, convention and that's causing a thing in Dogcatcher. And yes, I can set it up. I can customize it to do this, but I'd rather not have to do that because it's a malformed unit, you know. And it's very sophisticated and, and a very legitimate uh, request. On the other hand, then you have the folks who are like, you know, I don't see you in Downcast uh, or or whatever app they're using, and you have to say like, well, it 
either you're searching wrong or you could put this URL up manually. And those are actually much more difficult to support because you're really not sure how to explain how to use it when when you're not sure what their level of understanding of, of what's going on is. I think in general, uh, it seems like it is harder on Android um, to get this stuff to work. And I think it's because Google doesn't really offer a credible first-party app. Well, I would argue iOS doesn't really argue a very credible first No, it's not a great app, but it works. <laughs> um, uh, I, you know, I haven't noticed that. I, I think what I have noticed, and this may be what you're saying, uh, is there's a wider variety of usage on Android, whereas I think a lot more iOS people just end up using the podcast app and a few other very popular apps, whereas Android, they're kind of spread out all over. Yeah, I, I just know some of the, the the more edge case issues that we've seen is is stuff mm-hmm. like that. So like yeah, yeah. having you know our files uh, said or still do we're changing it now have listened or MP3 at the end of them. It was just like a tracking thing that we were doing, mm-hmm. uh, and that just meant that every day, every time there was a new episode, it was just deleting the previous ones. And yeah. it, it took me a little while to work out why would that happen. Well, I had a great exchange with a guy today uh, who said. You know, same thing where he's like, "Hey, this is same file name," uh, you know, and 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 that's it's not getting recognized. I was like, well, "What what podcatcher are you using?" He wrote back, "He's like one I wrote myself," <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, maybe you can talk to the developer." And he, <laughs> uh, and he laughed. He laughed at me. He's like, "Yeah, okay, fine. You you know that's fair enough." And I and then I I came up actually Brecky Thomason from Psycon uh, or. Uh, suggested like put a question mark at the end like a tracking url it's a wild card doesn't mean anything it'll be ignored uh by the by the podcatcher in the download part of it but it will recognize it as a different file so hopefully that works until soundcloud can fix it for you yeah you just have to apply to soundcloud to get access to your rss feed so you can see what the actual file names are Hmm. it's weird Tom, I still have so much that I want to talk to you about today, but I want to just take a break to thank our first sponsor for this week's episode, and that is lynda.com, who are an easy and affordable way to help individuals and organizations learn. You can instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on software, web development, graphic design, and so much more with Lynda. Linda do a great job with working directly with experts. So this can be people that know software or a product inside out or directly with the companies that produce the things themselves to provide timely training, often on the same day that products are released to make sure that you're always up to speed. All of Linda's videos, have, uh, there are over 100,000 video tutorials and growing, are available to you for one low monthly price of $25. This allows you to watch things on the go, on your iPhone, your iPad, or on your Android, as well as on your computer, your Mac or PC, of course. They have, and all of these videos are produced at the highest quality. They, you know, we mentioned they're made by experts, right? But they're also made in an expert way. They have fantastic video production and audio production. And all the courses are broken down into bite-sized manageable chunks so you can learn at your own pace too. 
Maybe you want to jump in and find a quick answer. You can do this really easily with a searchable transcript so you can find that part of the video that you're looking for. You can create your own playlist so you can create your own course syllabus if you want to. And this it can be in a whole range of different types of disciplines. Maybe you want to learn software development. And then when you develop the software, you want to learn how to market it. And then maybe you want to learn some general business practices. Maybe you need to learn web design so you can create a new website for the application that you've just taught yourself how to build. Maybe you're building a physical product and you want to learn how to do some great photography stuff on that. Linda have courses on absolutely everything. You can choose across any of them. That one low monthly price of $25 gives you access to all of it. I really love Linda. I mean, I've been using them myself recently to to learn some stuff about logic and I want to go in and learn some more of their business stuff and their marketing stuff because as a business owner, it can only be of a benefit to me, right? I can go in, I can see all type of stuff that I'm interested in. I can watch pieces here and there and just kind of use it as a way to expand my skill sets. And that's what Linda allows me to do. Now, we've worked out a great deal of lynda.com to provide you with access to all of their courses for free for seven days. It's a special offer with them. Go to lynda.com slash inquisitive to sign up right now. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash inquisitive. Thank you so much to Linda for their support of this this show and all of Relay FM. So I wanted to ask you, um, well, I wanted to talk to you about the Daily Tech News show for a bit, mm-hmm. but for anybody that doesn't know it, what is a DTNS? Well, yeah, it is what it says, right? It's a daily show about tech news. Uh, but the idea is to take about a half hour, and we're usually right at about a half hour. Every once in a while we go, go a little longer, it depends on the topic with a guest and just go through the the headlines of the day at the top of the show uh, and get any comments from them uh, about that. And then spend about 10 minutes in the middle of the show talking about one topic in particular. It might be out of those headlines if there's a topic that warrants further discussion. It might be something that the guest has just been working on if they're a journalist or they're an expert on. Uh, and, and we try to go a little more in the depth to investigate one of those issues. And then we finish up with uh, a pick of the day, usually from someone in our audience, a few emails, maybe some phone calls or, or MP3 messages uh, from people kind of furthering the conversation on, on issues we've been talking about, and then we're done. So typically on a news broadcast of any kind, the anchor is not spending their day finding links. How much of that are you doing? All of it? (laughs) Uh, I I don't want to say all of it because Jenny Josephson is my producer on the show, and she's very helpful in in putting together the lineup. Uh, She does suggest stories from time to time, but I sort of make myself be responsible for setting that lineup because I'm the one who has to make it interesting for people. So I want I want to know that I believe that these are the things uh, that should be discussed in every day. Jenny usually picks the emails and the voicemails and the pick of the day and pretty much everything else around there. I pick the headlines. She helps me write the headlines. And then uh, I usually I work with the guest to determine what that discussion topic should be because I want it to be something that the guest has an interest in, in speaking at length about. Why do you have guests on the show? I think it makes for a more enjoyable uh, conversation. Well, it makes for a conversation if you have two people, whereas if you just have one, it doesn't. Uh, but I think it makes it more enjoyable to hear different perspectives. 
So for me, it's a way for it not to just end up with me beating my own uh, horses about copyright and net neutrality uh, every day. It, it brings in folks who look at things differently than I do, have different opinions than I do. And I think that's, that's beneficial and of more interest to, to listeners. Uh, and I try to go outside of just the United States. I, you know, I try to get people from different parts of the world and, and we're still trying to find people from various walks of life, not just different parts of the world, but different industries uh, so that we can, we can get not the same thing you'd always hear about any particular issue. So where are your links coming from? Where are you finding the stories to talk about? Yeah, I like I said, the discussion story is kind of up for grabs. Uh, well, if there's a big story that day, we kind of try not to ignore it. Uh, but if, like many days, there you could go in a lot of different ways. I want to leave it up to the guest so that they can have something that they're excited to talk about. For the headlines, though, I've developed over the years a, a system that helps me double check my own biases and I hope gives you a, a, a look at the four or five things that are the most important stories that everybody's talking about out there, plus a couple of things that you might not hear anywhere else uh, that kind of balance out the idea that, you know, those four or five stories that everybody's talking about are often going to be Apple, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Facebook, you know, the same old, same old. So, so what I do is to kind of determine like, okay, what are these four to eight buzzy stories that I have to address? Because that's, that's what's going to be on everybody's lips. That's what everybody's going to be talking about. I look at Google News, which kind of tells me the broad, everyone's blogging about this. All right. Then I look at TechMeme, and that tells me this is what Silicon Valley, and this is, this is what the tech press is talking about. This is what is sort of important there. And then I have a, a subreddit for Daily Tech News Show listeners that gives me another perspective. It says, these are what a section of your audience uh, think is really important. And what that ends up doing, and, and then I actually have my own list of feeds of my own trusted sources that I look through and I, I mark things that I think are important. Those first three, the tech meme, Google News, and my own feeds, sort of I use that to say, okay, if it's coming up in all three of those places, it definitely is in the lineup. Uh, and if it's coming up in two of them, it's probably in the lineup. Uh, and then the subreddit will occasionally be another like, oh, well, this one's in the subreddit too, so it's definitely important. But it also gives me the things that the press and, and the, the bloggers and the, and the buzziness don't cover. Those are often science stories or, or research stories and things like that. So how much of your day is spent dealing with the news stuff, the headline stuff, planning out the topics and writing the headlines? How, how many hours a day is this, is this taking before you've even uh, sat in front of the microphone? Yeah, that's a good question. It's kind of hard to track all of it um, because many times throughout the day, I, I check in with Feedly.com and just go through and look at all the headlines and mark some things to, to review later. Uh, so, you know, there's there's a good couple of hours just spent cumulatively checking in on the feeds. But then once 1030 rolls around, I sit down and I I really go through my feeds, tech meme, Google News and make a draft of the headlines. It takes me about 20, 20 30 minutes. Uh, and I, I put that in my lineup as sort of a working 
draft of like, okay, I think these will probably be what the headlines are. So I've got to start thinking about those and I'll read those stories. Then from about 11 to 12 is when I spend time researching the main discussion topic, what, whatever we've picked. I want to get behind it. I want to make sure I understand it. I want to have good links to put in the show notes for people who want to explore it more themselves. Uh, so, uh, you know, I spend a, a good hour on that. Then at 12 o'clock, I go back and I redo the headline selection. It's a little faster this time uh, because I don't have to acquaint myself with most of the stories since I've already done that. And I'll make my final draft of the headlines and the news from you, which is from the subreddit. Uh, and then from, you know, whenever I get done with that until about 1245, 1250, Jenny and I are writing the headlines. And then I jump in, double check, make sure there's not any breaking news, which occasionally something surfaces that I've got to add at the last minute. The worst um, thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll jump into the chat, start talking to people there, see, see what their mood is. Occasionally they'll, they'll throw something out I hadn't seen, uh, and I'll add that in. Uh, and then it's uh, from 1 to 1.30, basically pre-show you know, technical stuff, making sure that I've got everything set up on the computers and the, the guest is invited in and they know what's going on and then one thirty we do the show. So what happens if there's no news? Yeah, I people ask me that. Uh, there's always news. Uh, there's, there's never a day that there isn't something interesting. I've never had that problem. I've, I've had days where I'm like, none of this news is very good or very <laughs> interesting maybe. It's a very shallow day. Uh, usually what happens is there's, it's either, uh, big and tall where there's like one or two stories and then, and then the rest are kind of minor or it's wide and, and uh, wide and shallow where there's some slightly interesting stories and there's a lot of them, but none that really rises up out of the top. It's very rare that I look at it and go, there's just nothing to talk about today. At least as far as the headlines go, there's always something happening. As far as the main discussion goes, most days there's there's a big topic that kind of presents itself. Every once in a while, you kind of, I, I almost feel like it's a relief that I don't have a particular big topic. So the guest and I can just kind of decide what it is we want to, you know, we want to explore. What do we want to talk? We can go into a more evergreen topic. So do you, do you have some of those things that just in case, like in the, you're, you're thinking about, like at certain points, oh, if, if there is nothing, we could always talk about. X, which you find is something could could just be spoken about at any time. Yeah, I mean, I, it's not formal. I don't have like a list of that sort of thing, but there's always, it, and it kind of changes over time. There's always a list of stuff you can always go back to. Uh, you, you can always talk about privacy. You can talk about security. There's always something uh, that you can you can look at as a recent development. Uh, there's there's always Apple because everyone hates them and loves them at the same time. Uh, and Google with the privacy invasion and BlackBerry, are they going to survive? But I, you know, I honestly don't ever have to go like, we're, we have no idea. Let's just, let's just go with one of the, the generics. I've almost, I don't think I've ever like been at wit's end to pick a discussion topic. Usually the, the guest has something or, or I'll be able to take something in the news and say, hey, this is, this is an interesting spin to this. Uh, there's, there's, there's a side to this that maybe people aren't talking about. Let's go there. In general, do you find that tech news is quite samey or, or is there enough in there that keeps you interested every day anyway? Uh, 
Yeah, I'd, I wouldn't still be doing this. The reason I started Daily Tech News Show is I knew I would get up every day and want to see like, okay, what are the tech stories today? What's going to happen today? Uh, I, I'm really just naturally into it and interested in, in this narrative, this flowing like from, from personal computers through the rise of the internet, through mobile phones. Like it's just a grand narrative of the progress of our tools and I love following that. I love seeing these the ebb and flow of these storylines. Uh, so you know, I, I I I definitely enjoy getting up and and looking at what these stories are. The complaints that I hear from people, and and occasionally I feel them myself, is it's always the same companies. It's always the same story. Oh, a new smartphone came out. Oh, Apple is in the news again. And the thing is, that changes over time. In 2006, the complaint was, all you ever talk about is Microsoft. All you ever talk about is laptops, uh, you know? And, and so when you pull back, you realize, yeah, big stories get popular, get overcovered, and people feel tired of them, but they may still be important, but they don't stick around forever. Those same companies aren't going to be the same big companies in five to 10 years. And smartphones are already diminishing as the really exciting thing to talk about. They've, they've already hit that point where a new smartphone is kind of like every other smartphone that came out, except maybe it's slightly bigger or maybe it's got a thinner bezel. Uh, but they're not, they're not the whiz-bang, like no one's ever seen this before, that they were for several years there. And we're moving into new territories. We're moving into payments. We're moving into Internet of Things and wearables. And who knows which of those is going to be the next crest that people are going to be complaining about. And I think in three or four years, you'll hear people saying, oh, I'm so tired of hearing about the Internet of Things. I'm so tired of hearing about wearables. I'm so tired of hearing about 3D printers. I'm so tired of hearing about all of these new AI virtual reality robots that everyone, you know, it's just going to keep going on. It's a, it's a nature of the news cycle. I learned this when I was at NPR uh, as an intern during Morning Edition, uh, they were covering the, the war in Bosnia. And every day there was news coming out of Bosnia. And at one point, the, the producer of the morning show said, I just can't stand doing another Bosnia story. And it wasn't because it wasn't important. It's just you get weary if it's the same stuff all the time. So the challenge is, how do you make sure that you're covering the things that people care about and you're not having a bias against Google, Facebook, Apple, et cetera, to where people say, well, why isn't he covering this? This is an important story. And still give them something fresh where you're saying, hey, this, this is actually, you know, this may be lesser known, but this is interesting. This is important to look at. It's a balance, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because you could go and cover, there's loads of stories out there that don't get covered. Some of them don't get covered for a reason. They're just not that important or not that interesting or fluffy. Some, because you're not sure if they're going to turn into something real or not. Um, but you want to cover some of those, and, and picking those is, is, is important. And that's actually where I'm very happy that we have a subreddit because our audience there are very enthusiastic. And so I can, I can fall back and say, hey, the folks really want to hear about this, so let's talk about it. Now, Tom, I want to talk to you a bit more about Patreon. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to thank our second sponsor for this week's episode, and that is Campaign Monitor, who make it easy to design, create, send, and optimize your email campaigns quickly and easily. Campaign Monitor features Canvas, an easy-to-use builder for creating beautiful email newsletters that look great everywhere, 
especially on mobile devices. Thousands of campaign monitor customers are using Canvas to totally reinvent what they send. So why not try creating a template for free at campaignmonitor.com slash canvas. Campaign Monitor also has some really cool features for sending your email campaigns, like RSS to email, which allows you to send an email out to your subscribers when you post something new to your blog, and also automatic A-B testing, which allows you to set up competing subject lines and make sure that your subscribers to your email newsletter are going to see the winning subject line, right? So if you send out, you have two different subject lines you'd like to use, you send out a bunch of your emails, whatever has the highest open rate, that's what the rest of your subscribers will see. Makes you get the most effective campaign that you possibly can. Campaign Monitor also features really beautiful and powerful analytics, super simple list management tools, and a loads of great resources and tips to help you get the most out of your campaigns. Go find out more and sign up for a free account right now at campaignmonitor.com. So I want to talk about crowdfunding um, and kind of talk about the Daily Tech News Show and and Patreon because I mm-hmm. think it's a really interesting thing that you you're doing here. So in the time that you've worked in podcasting, you've worked for big organizations, you've worked for small organizations, and you've now worked and now you are working independently, uh, both supported by advertising and now supported by fans. If you think about those different types of of places to work, how do these, how or how have these different types of financial support influenced the way that you work? Like, are there any that are more stressful than others? Like, is it worse to work for a big news news organization that controls a lot of what you would say, or has their own biases that you need to adhere to? Or is it more stressful to work with selling your own advertisements? Do you have a gauge for how that's been for you over time? Yeah, I have tried very hard to do what I do the same way no matter what. Uh, and, you know, I'm a human being with a, uh, a malleable brain like everybody else. So it's it's not like I can claim that I've never, I've never been swayed or influenced by anything. But I try very hard. To, to stay as consistent as possible. But yeah, it is, it is definitely different uh, in the different organizations. When I was at CNET, uh, the, um, the Jeff Gerstmann stuff blew up. And we, it is absolutely a story we would cover on Buzz Out Loud, whether we were part of CNET or not. And so we were going to cover it. We were going to talk about it on Buzz Out Loud. And we were told we could not talk about it. Uh, because it was an internal matter and they weren't ready to comment on it. And we had to hold our story. Now, in fairness, they didn't make CNET News hold a story about it. They made us hold a story. And that, I think, speaks more to internal misunderstandings of what we were doing more than anything. But it was, it was frustrating. And, and all we were able to say, the only thing we were able to agree to be able to say was, we know this story happened. We'll talk about it when we can. And that was extraordinarily frustrating. Uh, at the same time, there was also a big fight during the, the Buzz Out Loud days about getting advertising for the show. We were doing a lot of work to try to convince sales to go out and sell the show. And that's time we should have been spending on the content of the show. But again, it was that time when like, well, podcasting has had its day in the sun. And so it's over. And, and the CNET sales team was not alone in that. That was what the entire tech universe 
uh, was thinking. And so we were we were fighting what felt at the time like a losing battle, uh, and that affected how we how we did this show. And then when I went to Twit, the fact that we changed. Whereas CNET, you never read an ad as a host. We cha- I, I changed to doing a host read, read model. Uh, and for the most part, that doesn't cause any kinds of, of problems. But I did notice that if I was doing a car ad, like we were doing Ford, uh, it definitely made me think about that when I looked at car tech stories. Uh, and again, I, it was something I had to like adapt around, and I think I did a pretty good job. But it's something I never had to deal with when I was at CNET because I never read any of the ads. So... You know, there's there's little things like that. Uh, and then the one thing that I really have enjoyed doing Daily Tech News Show, because we don't take advertisements, and this is not to say that I'm against advertising. I think advertising is great, and there's lots of reasons for advertising-supported shows. I think you can do a very good, objective, and ethically sound show and still take advertising. But the nice thing is never having to worry about that. That never pops into my mind. I never think like, okay, well, I have to remember that even though they're an advertiser, I shouldn't let this... Uh, affect my story. I, it just it just doesn't happen. Do you think that there's one of these routes that's more inherently risky? No, I don't think there's one that's more inherently risky. They all have the different kinds of risks. Uh, your risk in an advertising-supported show is that you're going to unconsciously tailor the show for the benefit of where your money comes from. And that's perfectly natural. Uh, it's something you have to consider and balance against. Uh, and if you want the show to be successful, you, you have to really work with your sales team to understand, hey, sell this show as this kind of show. Because if you sell it as a different kind of show that, than we're doing, you're going to force us to do a different kind of show. But you're always going to be at the... Basically, your client is going to be the advertisers, not the audience. Uh, no matter what you want to do. If you have a fan-supported show, your risk there is that the audience just decides they're not into it anymore and and your money goes away, or that uh, certain audience members maybe give a little more than than other audience members and, and maybe try to uh, push you, you know, into a certain type of coverage or influence. So you, you have to guard against that. I mean, the the thing is, I guess what I'm saying is, Wherever there's money, the source of the money is going to have an outsized influence on what you do. And so that doesn't mean you shouldn't ever take money. It means that you have to take that into account and construct what you're doing so that it, it, it sort of counterbalances that influence. It, it, honestly, what's wrong with most governments is exactly that. We haven't counterbalanced against the influence of money. There was a, a time where the Daily Tech News Show was advertising supported, right? Were Daily Tech News Show? No. No? It, it, it never was. There was a time when I was going to take ads on Daily Tech News Show that I intended to take ads. Uh, but we got to the Patreon level where I didn't have to, so I never did. So that was the, a threshold of $10,000 a month, right, on mm-hmm. Patreon. Um how had this changed the way, or if at all, that you thought about producing the show? Like, you know, if you were if you were moving towards a, an advertising model, where you started to think about, okay, I need to make sure that the show's this long and that we have this amount of breaks and that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah. Did you have to just not have to think about those things anymore, or were there different considerations you started to make in how the show was produced? Yeah, with with podcasting, you're pretty 
pretty free. And most most advertisers are, are pretty understanding about placement being different and show length being different. Uh, but you do, you, the, the biggest thing is tracking. Uh, so when you have an advertising-supported show, the advertiser very rightly wants to know that the advertisement was delivered and listened to uh, by the people they're paying for it to be delivered and listened to. So you have to take that into account uh, and you have to figure out tracking. It also starts to change your calculus about distribution because if you can distribute it in a place where it can't be tracked, then you're essentially giving the show away because you can't charge the advertiser for it. And do you want to do that? When you don't take advertising, all of those considerations go away. And suddenly you're saying, hey, put this out here anywhere. Uh, you guys, you guys want to do an AUG version of it on your own, which I do have someone who does that. Go ahead. We don't mind. Now, to be fair, Leo Laporte started twi- with that exact, uh, that exact idea, which is like, put this out wherever you want. Uh, and still took advertising and just just said, hey, you know, it's worth it to me promotionally to have it out there in these other areas. I don't think it really undermines uh, the 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 core numbers here, but it but it's something that you have to think about and overcome. Whereas if you don't take advertising, you're like put it in as many places as possible. That's the the more people that hear it, the more chance that someone will support the show. So it's all good. Is there not an element there of you wanting to know how many people listen just personally? Yes and no. Um, it's it's definitely important to know that people aren't abandoning the show, uh, and it's interesting to see like, oh my, you know, my download stats went up or down or whatever. Uh, but there is an element of me that is more concerned with the supporters of the show, and and that number has not gone down, and that number continues to go up. That's the that's the real important number because those are the people who are making the show possible. Now, again, there is a danger there, and the danger is that you start creating a show that super serves a minority of your audience at the expense of the majority, and so you have to guard against that. You have to think about it. So, you mentioned like that you have a, a producer on the show. Um, has the Patreon funding helped support this? Yes. Uh, Jenny Josephson had worked for Yahoo and uh, got laid off from Yahoo in December around the same time that I learned that I would be leaving Twit. So it worked out because we had been introduced to each other by Molly Wood that we started talking saying, well, hey, I'm going to try this out. Do you want to try this out? And she she essentially said, well, I you know, I'm I'm going to have enough severance that I can experiment for a certain amount of time. Uh, but after that time is up, I'm going to have to go find a job. And so the fact that the, the Patreon was able to support us at the level that it did meant that I could say, well, Jenny, you can, you know, you can take half this and you've got to set, now you've got a salary. Now, now you've got a job. Uh, it may not be as well-paying as a job she could get because she is worth a lot more <laughs> uh, and, and, and has made a lot more, I think. I, I've been guessing. She hasn't ever told me. At other places that she's worked. But she enjoys doing it and she gets value out of learning podcasting and, and, and this world that we live in. So it, I think it's worked out great. Does this allow you to, you know, because you, you, know, you mentioned you were thinking about advertising and stuff like that. By having this, you know, this this goal being met, it, I'm sure it allows you to just focus on the content, right? And that's important, I assume, for you. Yeah, and that's extra important. I was lucky enough at CNET to not very often 
have to deal with the advertising. I, I made it sound earlier, maybe like I was pushing the sales team and we were, we did meetings with them and tried to convince them and educate them, but I didn't have to do the sales. I didn't have to go deal directly with accounts or anything like that. Uh, same thing at Twit. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any interface with sales other than maybe an occasional client meeting where they just wanted to meet the person who'd be reading their ads or, or something like that. If I had taken ads on Daily Tech News Show, then we would have either had to engage a service directly, like a pod track, for instance, uh, to sell the ads. And I would have had to deal with rejecting or accepting every advertiser that came aboard and making sure that they, they fit into the show, et cetera, et cetera. And so that takes time that otherwise I could spend on the show. You're right. Where do you plan on going next? Like, What are your next goals of Patreon? What are they going to allow you to be able to do? Well, we've had, since we launched it, a level where we would do a video feed. And we do video. I think this is confusing to a lot of people, and I probably shouldn't have done it this way. But uh, we focused on Daily Tech News Show as an audio podcast, and that's, that's how we still think of it. Because I have a nice video setup, I, and because Hangouts makes it easy to bring multiple people together into one stream, I use Google Hangout to record the show. I do audio hijack and that, that allows me to record the audio from everybody. But then since I'm already doing it on the Hangout, I might as well do a Hangout on air and let people watch as I record, sort of like a spy cam. And then because Hangout auto publishes that to YouTube, I feel like, well, it doesn't make sense to shut that down. Might as well just let that up on YouTube for people to watch. And since YouTube allows you to download the video, I download the video and I post it to archive.org. And a guy named Sean has taken it upon himself to create an RSS feed for that video. All that said, that is not my design for the best video podcast, right? If I wanted to do an actual video podcast, I'd want to have a video open. I'd want to have lower thirds. I want to have, most importantly, screenshots, uh, illustrations of what we're talking about, stuff like that. And that's another person. Uh, that's another person, at least, that needs to be able to do that or add it in post-production. So we set a, a level that said, okay, well, if, you know, if we get to this level, we'll do a real, like for real video podcast feed. In the meantime, I've started to really want to be able to have contributors that are regular. And the reason for that is it makes it easier to know that you're going to have a good discussion if you can plan it a little more in advance or with people who understand the show very well. And then you can go and book some day of guests based on the headlines of the day, based on the news that's breaking. And so we just added Patrick Beja from France, he does La Rendezvous Tech in a French language tech podcast as our first contributor. So he'll be on weekly, mostly on Tuesdays. And we want to do more of that. So I think the next thing that we're going to do is set a level to get a second contributor to the show. Uh, not because we want to reduce the number of guests. It's, it's so that we can, we can more reliably prepare the show and actually be able to bring in some guests that wouldn't necessarily be great for a whole show. Um, you know, for instance, uh, there's a lot of beat reporters out there. They're like, all I cover is smartphones or all I cover is security. And those folks really aren't ideal for being on the entire show. You want somebody who's sort of a general host like yourself, uh, uh, who can just kind of talk about anything during the show. So if we have regular contributors that we know we can do that, uh, then we can, we can open ourselves up to booking 
even a wider number of perspectives and bring them in. So that's probably the next thing I'm going to do is add a level for that. And then the question becomes, well, if you're using money to add contributors, what does that do to your video podcast? Probably means we have to raise the amount that we need to get a video podcast. A couple of people have been up, not upset, but they're like, oh, I don't, I don't really want to delay a video podcast. I really want a video podcast. So there may be something I can do that's sort of says, well, we're going to raise the level for a video podcast, but we're also going to increase what that would mean and be a, and and talk about some mid middle step, maybe I don't know. You are so close to like you, you do like ninety percent of what a video podcast does, you know already. Well, and that's only a, a matter of accident of the tools, right? We have the, <laughs> we have the tools that do all of those things that I don't have to pay someone to do. So yeah, it's it's just the things that you actually have to bring a person in to do that I don't have. Tom, I have a few more things that I want to ask you, but just before we do that, I want to thank our third and final sponsor for this week's episode of Inquisitive, and that is harrys.com. Harry's was founded because shaving can be expensive and frustrating. The process of shaving your face can also be annoying, irritating, and sometimes painful, and the process of buying shaving products can be even more so. Harry's was created to try and beat some of these things down to the ground. They create products of a super cool brand and design that actually speak to you, its customers. They do this with a simplified ordering process. They have a snazzy website that allows you to do it, and they create great products that take a lot of the pain out of shaving. Harry sent me a kit that I could try out for myself, and I love it. I have one of their Winston sets, which features a razor of a handle made from aluminium. It's light and easy to use, but has a good solid feel in the hand. It has a real classic look to it, and it's fantastic to use. They're razor blades. They come in at about half the price of the big brand, and they ship for free to your doorstep. Harry's actually bought the factory in Germany that creates these blades. They're that well made that they had to make sure that they would always have them. Harry's starter set sells for an amazing deal. It's for $15. You're going to get yourself a razor, firming shave gel, and three razor blades, plus free shipping in the US. So I was saying about their products just there, and I mentioned that they have a foaming shave gel. Well, this is a new thing for Harry's, actually. Um, it's it's really cool product. It's You know, you, you spray it out into your hand, and it's a gel, and you rub it into your hands, and it turns into this foam, which I really like. It's just a, a nice kind of magical science thing. Uh, it smells really great. It's made of a combination of licorice root extract, cucumber, and aloe vera. It's, it feels fancy on the face, and it's really smooth to shave with. Um, I found that using this product in conjunction with Harry's razor to be a dream. There's like a match made in heaven. And it gets even better with their aftershave moisturizer. It's made of all the same natural ingredients, and it feels really great on my skin. It doesn't leave me with an oily feeling afterwards that I've had of other products that are like this. And it's important to me to use something like this. My, my uh, girlfriend tells me that I should be using this type of stuff to make sure that my skin feels good. And you may not think that moisturizer is important, but trust me, it is. When you're shaving your face, you're leaving it vulnerable, and you need to make sure that it's well moisturized so you keep your skin feeling and looking its best. So you can experience a clean, close, and comfortable shave of Harry's. At the moment, Harry's is only available to those in the United States, and I have a great deal for those of you that are. Go to harrys.com, and you'll get $5 off if you type in the coupon code 
inquisitive with your first purchase. That's harrys.com and enter the coupon code inquisitive at checkout for $5 off and start shaving better today. Thank you so much to Harry's for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So I'm interested in in understanding why did you go to Patreon for this? Why didn't you raise money on Kickstarter? You've had successful Kickstarters with Sword and Laser. Why was Patreon the, the tool that you decided to go for? Sure. No, Kickstarter is great. Uh, it's very great for something that has a defined beginning and end. That's why it's really good for products. I want to put out this device, and if you let me raise this amount of money, I will put out the device. End of story. Uh, if you want to do a season of something, Kickstarter or Indiegogo is great for that. You say, I want to do 12 episodes of, of Sword and Laser. And to do that, I need this much money. And if we get that much money, we'll do the season. Done. Uh, even so, when it's time to do the next season, you're not going to raise as much money. Because people get very excited the first time you do it. And I've experienced this with FSL tonight. Then the second year, it's like, oh, well, it worked last year. Maybe I don't have to give this year and other people will. Um, and, and that's just one psychology that I think plays into it. There's also a little Kickstarter fatigue that happens. Whereas with a, with a daily news show where it's like, we are going to be on pretty much every day of the year with a few exceptions for holidays and weekends, right? Uh, you can't Kickstarter that. You can't say, well, we're going to Kickstart a never-ending project. So what Patreon did was said, well, we'll let you do the, we'll ha- let you have some of those tools and community building and outreach uh, that Kickstarter provides, but on an ongoing basis. So we did it for Cord Killers, and it worked so well that I figured it was totally worth doing for Daily Tech News Show, and it's worked well for that too. I, I'm interested in um, the listener support thing, and and it also kind of builds into just like building an audience. So, mm-hmm. I mean if you kind of look at it, the face of it and, and the thinking that I've had around this is advertising comes at download numbers, right? So you get good download numbers, you can get advertising. But crowdfunding comes when there seems to be a relationship developed between the host and the listener. So do you, one, do you see it that way? And two, do you think it's hard to build that relationship? Uh, yes, I do see it that way. And I, I, and no, it's not easy to, to build that relationship. Uh, I I don't know if I'd say it's hard. Uh, although it is hard to build it from nothing. Um, it's hard to build an audience. So put it that way. Uh, it's then kind of dependent on your audience and you, how hard it is to build that relationship where they might want to support your endeavor. Uh, there's a lot of things that play into that. I, I think that when you're, when you're building an audience, you want, to, you want to get as many people as possible because you don't know who's going to like it, right? But, and, and so that's the really hard part. How do you get your word out there? How do you get somebody to choose to spend a half hour or 45 minutes or an hour with your thing versus something else that they could spend that time with? That's really difficult. But if you're doing it right, and I think more people do it right than don't, you're respecting that audience, you're building a relationship, they continue to listen to your show because they like what you're doing and, they, and the more they listen, the more they bond. I, I've had this experience myself. There's shows I listen to, like The Instance, uh, for instance, where I haven't even played World of Warcraft 
in a while. But I still listen to the show regularly, even though it's about World of Warcraft, because I just really like hearing those guys talk about it. Uh, and I think a lot of people build that kind of relationship. So once you get over that hump, then it's a matter of saying, well, okay, how do I not tread on your trust and still say, hey, I'd like to maybe figure out how to do it this way, right? And there were certainly a lot of people, more people than I expected with Daily Tech News Show who said, no, please take advertising. Please take advertising, don't do crowdfunding. Please take advertising and do crowdfunding uh, because they saw not taking advertising as cutting off revenue. Uh, and they cared about the show that much that they, they, they didn't want to see it suffer. I was pretty confident it wasn't going to suffer. Uh, so I just continued on with it. But I, I think it's all about whether you've created a positive relationship with your audience and how you ask them about it. When you're taking advertising, it's not just building up numbers. That's one thing I learned at Tech TV. The highest rated shows on the network had some of the hardest time bringing in revenue because of the concept. Advertisers aren't just buying numbers. Uh, they're not just buying demographics. They're also buying on the concept. They're, they're saying, I want my brand associated with this popular show. Yeah, it's got to be popular and it's, and it's got to have uh, the demographics they want to reach. But there are lots of ways to reach those demographics. So what else about it uh, puts it over the edge when it's time for an agent to say, yeah, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend this brand's money on this product. Do you have any kind of insight into why this sort of model works for some people and not for others? Which you know, uh, crowdfunding? One? Crowdfunding, yeah. I mean, you, you see many people try and, and launch it. You know, um, I'm sure that there are people that have similar, have been in the industry for as long as you have, tried to do a similar sort of thing. It doesn't work. Do you think that there is a sort of a, a special source related to it? Is it like right place, right time? Yeah, I don't know. I really don't. Uh, I, I think I have a lot of guesses why things might work and might not. I, I think some people just don't have a large enough audience. Uh, maybe they don't have the right demographic. Uh, and so that it's just not the kind of show where the audience can give a lot. Uh, maybe. I think sometimes it's in the ask. I think sometimes people say, oh, well, I saw that that worked for that person. So I'm going to put my potato salad up on Kickstarter. Well, mm. wait a minute. Why is it working? Right. Uh, you, you've got, you've got to really respect the audience and speak to them in reality and say, Hey, you know, I know I'm asking you for something here. Uh, and here's why I need it. Here's, here's what it'll get you. Let's, let's be, cl let's be clear about it. And if you, if you want to help, uh, this is, this is what you'll get out of it. And this is, this is what I'll get out of it. Uh, and I think sometimes some people may just say, all right, well, I've put up my Patreon now come give me money. <laughs> That's yeah. not good enough. That's not going to compel people. And I don't even mean that it insults people. It's just, you have to give them a reason to get their fingers over to that website and go through the procedure. That's all. That's a lot of work for people. I've always looked at these sorts of things and, and can see that there is a something scary about it especially like a public thing like patreon you know people see how much money you're making they see how much people are involved in it and see if people are you know supporting you is there an element you know at least when you were starting out was like what if what if it fails and then i'm a failure in public is there <laughs> is there a fear to that yeah there is i definitely worried about that uh somewhat 
With Cord Killers, it's funny. I worried about it somewhat less because Brian and I were just kind of going rogue and we're like, even one person, we, we went into it with this idea, even one person supporting us is amazing. So, so we set our own personal bars really low. I think what happened with Daily Tech News Show was fri- more frightening for me because Cord Killers had been so successful. And suddenly it was like, well, what if I do, what if I open up the Daily Tech News Show Patreon and it like just doesn't do anything? And it's like, oh, well, the reason they supported me was Brian uh, or the reason they supported oh. me was that kind of content. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't, you know, they don't really like Daily Tech News. And thankfully, that's not the way it happened. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a worry. As for the public aspect of it, it can be weird uh, and it's daunting and a lot of people wouldn't like it. A lot of people don't want to do Patreon simply because of that. Uh, but it just means that you have to be that much clearer with your audience. So like, yeah, okay, we've got this much. This is what we're doing with it. Uh, and you're, you're seeing what we're doing with it. And, you know, like most privacy concerns, there are elements of it that are true concerns. And then there's also a lot of things that you end up going, oh, making that public really wasn't that big a deal. So, um, yeah, yeah, you have to deal with the fact that some people are going to say, oh, well, you got so much money, uh, you know, what do you need more for? Or why aren't you doing this and that? Uh, and and the, the best defense that I could think of is just to be honest. My last question. Out of, you know, you, you are now, uh, you're, as we mentioned right at the top, you are independent in, in what you do. What is the most difficult thing you have faced in being independent? All of it. <laughs> uh, the, the, the most difficult for me was time. Uh, suddenly, I had no time. And that wasn't, you know, it, oddly, it wasn't because I had to do everything myself. Most of what I'm doing, I was doing before. Uh, you know, I, 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 and I, you know, I, and I very intentionally limited uh, the amount of extra things that I did, for instance, I'm not doing, a, I'm not doing the video editing. You know, that's something that Jason Howell had to do and still does, uh, for tech news today. So I was just like, well, I'm not doing any video editing. So that's one less thing that I have to do. And I'm not taking advertising now. There's one less thing that I have to do, but I had to do all the other setup. Uh, and it's hard to put your finger on exactly what that means, but when you're doing everything for the first time, it always takes longer. And so even though I'd done a daily tech news show, two different daily tech news shows, suddenly doing daily tech news show was much harder uh, because I was doing something new. And so doing a bunch of different new things all at once just sucked every minute out of the day for months. And it took a while for that to just kind of, for me to realize, okay, it's not going to be like this forever. It's actually starting to get easier. Things are becoming routine. Jenny was fantastic at guiding me to like, hey, we'll make a checklist. We'll make a spreadsheet. We'll, we'll organize this. Uh, and that helped tremendously. So, you know, it was, it was just that, that sort of launch part of it. And add to that the fear that this was all going to go wrong in some way, either people would all come and enjoy it for two weeks and then they'd all leave. Or uh, my, you know, my, my, my feeds would, would just be broken and no one would ever be able to get the MP3s. Or, uh, or just like I'd make some tax mistake and end up in jail because I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, just crazy fears uh, about doing something for the first time that you'd never done before. 
Mr. Tom Merritt, it's always a pleasure. You are a joy to talk to, and I'm so happy that you're successful in, in the stuff that you're working on right now. Well, thanks, Mike. And, uh, and you know, you're going independent yourself, right? Yeah, well, that's what that's what Real FM is, and every day we I get that little bit closer to it being yeah. all I do. So it gets better. Yeah, <laughs> it does also get more terrifying as you say that. Yeah, it does. Uh, but you know, having done all of this independent for nine months now, just about, um, I have to say it, it it is much less frightening than it was before because. Some of your fears don't get realized, and some of the things you were afraid of happen and aren't nearly as bad as you thought they would be. And, and so, yeah, it, it, the, the more you do something, the better you get at it. That's just, I think that's just true. So where can people keep up to date with what you're doing these days? Well, TomMerritt.com collects all of the things that I do um, in one place. It's two R's, two T's in Merritt. And that is a blog that takes in all my posts from all my shows. There's an about page if you want to read about me. There's a subscribe page that has links to subscribe to all the shows that I do. Uh, There's even a store page if you're curious what equipment I use. I have Amazon links there. And, of course, I make a little money off you buy something. But if you just want to see what I use, uh, that's the easiest way to look at it as well. If you want to catch the show notes for today's episode, then you want to go over to relay.fm slash inquisitive slash six. My name is Mike Hurley. I am at iMike on Twitter, I-M-Y-K-E, and I'll be back next week with another episode of Inquisitive. Until then, bye-bye.